Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Kylie Stone, founder of Team Women Australia, CEO of The Performance Code, host of the Uncharted Leaders podcast and a coach and mentor in resilience and courageous leadership. Welcome Kylie. Thanks Darren. This is interesting for me because we have known each other for quite a while, but I felt it was important to have this conversation, especially now, because more than ever with uh, with the COVID-19, mm. people are under so much stress, aren't they? Mm. Well, it's interesting. I think the, the stress comes to the surface, I think is probably what I'd say, and a lot of the stress has been there for a very long time, but it's when we see a crisis like this that all of a sudden it becomes more obvious. Yeah. I've actually um, seen on social media a increase in people saying, I actually feel less alone because there's a sense now that we're all in this together, whereas perhaps the stress that's always been there has often been isolating stress, whereas at the moment it seems to more be more collective stress. Yeah, absolutely. And and, I mean, it's a shame to kind of feel that that's the case. You know, it's like, oh, my circumstances don't feel as bad as long as everybody else is in the same boat. But um, I think, you know, it it does unite people. I mean, you could look at any tragedy over the years. And one of the things that's very common as a human being is whenever there is a, you know, global crisis or a pandemic or, um, you know, like the 9-11, it was the same thing. You know, people really do unite and they find that, in fact, we think we're alone when we're going through things independently, but the truth of the matter is we're never actually really going through them alone. So it's only becomes obvious that we're not alone when these things do happen. Do you think it's quite an Anglo-Saxon thing for people to, you know, keep their worries to themselves? Because, you know, one of the things that always annoys me is when you say to someone, how's business going? And they go, oh, good. Yeah. And, you, and you're there going, really? Because I'm doing really badly. And then suddenly they go, oh, my God. So, you know, and then they let it out. Yes. You know, this, this thing of, you know, what is it? Stay calm and, yes. you know. Make sure you present like things are doing pretty well. Look, I wouldn't, def- I definitely wouldn't say it's an Anglo-Saxon thing. I think there definitely are cultures that are probably a little bit more open about those things. Um, but being somebody who's got an Aboriginal background uh, and does mix with a lot of di- diverse background people, it, it really is a human being trait. You know, it's as a human being, we tend to you know, feel like we don't want to burden other people with our problems. And then as a result, we feel like, you know, we just, you know, they, they become our own problems. But, you know, I, I found the same thing, you know. In fact, it was about when I went back to work after having three kids and it was probably my first experience of really struggling to how do I juggle this full-time job, senior leadership position. Media at the time was in, you know, digital, peak of digital disruption, restructuring going on. Everyone was fearful of losing their jobs and, and I had three kids under three and I went back into work and they wanted me full-time. I didn't want full-time and I thought, what am I going to do here? So I negotiated a part-time job, but I tell you, within a couple of months, I was so pissed off because there I am all of a sudden, I'd, like, I'd worked 20 years to get to that level and it wasn't as though my brain wasn't capable of continuing at that level, but I lost all the parts of the job that I loved. I lost the leadership aspect. I lost the authority. I lost the team sitting in the office by myself and I thought, no, this this ain't right. And that was the point I realised 
uh, yeah, I started actually speaking the truth is actually what happened, right? Because, you know, I bump into the same old people at the coffee shop. They're, oh, how are you going? I go, pretty shit, actually. And they were shocked. See, that's, that's interesting because you have always occurred to me as someone that speaks the truth. Yeah, well, that's true. Okay. So it's interesting. But I th- it's, it's also such a paradox that you say it's the human condition not mm. to share our problems. Mm. And yet the human condition is also to be incredibly social. Mm. You know, that there are these rules around... Paradox. Yeah. Oh, look, if there's anything I, I think specifically, I, I've been doing the work around trans, personal transformation for individuals now since 2001, I think was when I first started. And over that time, if there is one unique, like, common thread throughout all of it is that the paradox of life itself. Everywhere you, you look, you go, well, you know, it's, it is a paradox that we as human beings, the thing that we most desire is our connection with others. But by default, what happens is in survival mechanism is we do the opposite. There's opposites all over the place. In fact, I often find that the most charismatic leaders mm. have an openness about them and an approachability and, you know, and it comes from a perception of honesty, of them sharing of themselves. Is that something, because I know leadership and especially courageous leadership Mm. is an area that you're particularly interested in. Is that part of that, uh, that persona to be a leader? Yeah, I do think it is. And, and I do think it comes with a few, uh, what would you call them? Caveats. Caveats, yeah. You call it a few caveats because it's one thing to be open and uh, transparent, for example, which you'd say, culturally speaking, we you know a lot of people do expect people to be transparent and honest. Um, then it becomes about what's appropriate because as a leader, our job is also to ensure that we are building, instilling confidence in the people around us. And so, you know, if you go out and you decide that you, it, you wouldn't be appropriate to air all your dirty laundry, for example, no. right? So that's not, I think what we have to be careful about is what does transparency look like in, and how does that show up in different places? You know, it's one thing in a small business, it's one thing in a larger organisation, because the thing we don't have control over is the reaction of what happens when we do say what we say. See, we can only control what uh, we say, but we don't, we can't, we can't predict or control what's going to, how people interpret yeah. what we say. I think, I think what I didn't emphasise enough is that they create this appearance. Mm. They create the sense of approachability. They create the sense of, of belonging. But also, because leadership has been said to be incredibly lonely. Mm. You know, it's, what do they say? It's lonely at the top. Yes. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And it is lonely because we haven't addressed the one fundamental thing that we, that is in the way of that, which is when we get there, there's a view that we do have to have everything handled. So, which prevents us then from ensuring that we're surrounding ourselves with people who ensure that we, it's not lonely. You know, now it becomes different. I mean, I remember when I first made that leap from, you know, not having staff to having staff and then taking the next level up. And it was, you know, you pretty much feel like, you know, you've got to have it all handled. And so you, what happens with that is you stop actually sharing yourself more openly and you, you kind of put that, that barrier in. But uh, collaboration is one of the key things. Well, it's actually one of the critical elements of resilience. So you've got to surround yourself with people uh, at, at the right levels for the right things to achieve your goals. And by doing that, you don't have the experience of being alone. Mm. 
Because I know uh, from personal experience, some of the best leaders are the ones that go around and will ask you, you know, for advice or opinions. Mm, mm. And but you get the sense that they ultimately make the decision. But you also feel included because you have a voice in at least informing that decision. Yeah, and you know, this is a brings up the issue for me around the hierarchical view that I think we've got as leaders and. You know, we've been, let's say, born into an era where leadership has been isolated to those who have a particular title or they sit at the top of an organisation and therefore, you know, they've got to keep certain things to themselves. But um, you point to a great point about leadership because leadership ultimately is about how people mobilise a team of people. So it's not whether you're sitting in a certain role or not. So great leaders understand that we're all human beings and there are certain strengths and attributes that people have no matter where they sit in an organisation. In fact, Rule 101 on change management is that you identify leaders across the entire organisation, no matter where they sit. If they've got a title, if they don't have a title, people have got different strengths. Some people are really great influencers. Some people are really great at socialized stuff. Some people, you know, it's about how do I tap into those unique strengths and then use those people to demonstrate leadership based on those things. And, and uh, leadership is something that there seems to be a lot written about. Oh, yes. Even and there's the, a lot yeah. of people sharing their advice. And, and, but, you know, what, was, what would be the approach that you take as a leader? Because, you know, Team Women Australia is about providing women especially mm. with the, the framework, the support mm. to be the leaders they can be, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the, the approach I take is how does one express their own leadership? You know, how does, rather than looking for what you think you should be doing as a leader, you know, there's no, there is no textbook theory. And in fact, uh, being a researcher myself, I have done a lot of research. And one, I remember reading this article once um, by a guy who does a lot of work with leadership development with Harvard, saying exactly that, that even the experts in the area of leadership don't agree. You know, there's there's no one size fits all approach when it comes to what's right versus you know what's not right. Um, and even the podcast that I've been doing lately, the very, one of the questions I ask at the end of every podcast is, "What is the, you know, what does a leader look like to you?" Please, you know, complete that sentence. And everybody has a very unique view on it. The thing that is common though is, I think people when they realise their own strengths, talents, what's important to them, and they pursue you know, a cause that they're passionate about, what they find is the moving towards that future is what demonstrates the attributes of leadership, which is really about uniting people towards a common goal. Mm. And achieving, you know, outstanding results yes. that you as an individual alone may never have been able to achieve. That's right. And I think that's where there's a, a you know, how does one identify and tap into what's truly important as an individual and then how do you then get that to work in a group dynamic? Because the pitfall is in an organisation is to focus on the, the, the organisation's purpose and vision and values, which is all great, but then you need to make sure that you're matching that up with how do you then ensure that an individual aligns with that so that they're all working towards the same thing. So what you're saying is because from a business context, most people when they talk about leadership talk about the CEO, mm. but in actual fact, Within marketing, the leader may not even be just the CMO. There can be leaders across the whole marketing function and that it's really important that those people are given the support and, and uh, to be able to be the best leaders they can be in those roles, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think if you do the work with an individual, if I think about, you know, when I was in my marketing director days, uh, you know, we had a team of about 14 in in the team in very different areas of expertise. You know, we had analysts and we had creative people and then we had Marcoms people, we had sponsorship people. Um, and, you know, but as a team, we, we united a lot. But the thing that I noticed worked for me specifically was ensuring that when it came to them expressing their individual leadership, it was doing the one-on-one work, you know, having them look at what are their individual talent strengths, what are the goals that they've got. And when they're at work on that themselves, people just become better human beings. Mm. So it's much easier to unite them as, as a group when you do that work. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the agendas and the insecurities and things are actually put aside. You know, how many times have you walked into a corporate meeting and they'll say something like, leave your egos at the uh, door when you come into this meeting because we're going to be brainstorming ideas. Mm. And then immediately everyone takes a hierarchical position based on their titles. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, these these almost glib uh, phrases and these, these techniques in some ways undermine, don't they, the whole concept of developing leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the in scenarios like that, I think the best thing we can do is actually just say, you know, park, park your role at the door. I mean, it's, it's a, we're all, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, I suppose, of, you know, our, my own culture as an Aboriginal woman, you know, the, the value and strength of community and community leadership, which is ultimately that everybody does have a voice and everybody has a very unique perspective, no matter what you do and um, no matter where you come from. And I think being able to utilise those differences is is quite valuable because we just can never know what kind of gold is going to come out of somebody's mouth. You know, everybody's got a very different background. Everybody's got a very different set of experiences. And I think the real gold does come from giving everybody the opportunity to actually contribute. But isn't that the problem that a lot of our cult- business culture and a lot of our uh, structures have come from a military background. You know, the hierarchical structure, the silos, these are all things that the military used for the last 2,000 years. I think it was the Roman legion were the first ones in battle to create these structures, and yet we still live with that today. Mm. You know, and we see it so many times. Bigger the organisation, more likely they are to have these very traditional structures that actually suppress individual leadership because it has to give way to the hierarchy. Yeah, and I do think we're in an interesting time because, you know, as you well know, the the you know, there's a massive growth in startups and community organizations. And I think even the the default when we start those organizations is to create a hierarchical structure. Um, so we're so tr- trained to do that. So we are at a time though that until we have a, a you know, a new model, then we it's impossible to throw out the old model. So it is about experimenting with what works. Um, you know, startups have got a much better place to come from because they're creating from scratch. But in an organisation where it's been there for forever and a day, it's a lot harder to make changes in those areas. So it's about how do we, you know, in the current environment, the current system, the current infrastructure, how do we mobilise individuals to remove those barriers? And I think that's one of the reasons why, just over in the last 12 months, actually, I've gone deeper on this neuroscience of resilience because it's about how do you collectively, uh, 
use the environmental structures that we've got for the value that they do provide, but then at the same time have an individual show up in a way that removes the barriers from them being able to express themselves or be courageous or, you know, speak up in a meeting without worrying if the CEO's there and I shouldn't speak up and how do we do those things and, you know, despite what's happening in the external environmental structure. Yeah, and, and look, you know, I was going to ask you about this relationship between leadership and resilience mm. because clearly, you know, it's a passion for you mm. um, and when you, when you talk about it just then, you know, it becomes who you are. So what, what for people that are, are listening to this and are thinking, well, what's the connection? In the simplest terms, what do you think the connection is between resilience and leadership? Well, one thing simply, it is... Uh, how do we advance in life towards what we want despite all the adversity going on around us? That's it. Fantastic. That's a beautiful uh, definition there. Well, we've all got goals, right? We've all got desires and dreams and, you know, in a business we've got targets and performance metrics we need to achieve and, you know, as leaders of organisations we have an outcome we need to accomplish. And as a human being we have, you know, ways that we desire to operate. You know, as a parent I have a an objective or a goal to make sure I'm a compassionate human being when my children are, you know, throwing tantrums. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we all have a desire to produce a certain outcome, whether mm. it's, you know, a, a business outcome or not. And yet there are things that get in the way of us being able to express that, mm. um, you know, and then we have plenty of reasons why we can't, can't achieve it. You know, if we're off our target and business performance. We have plenty of reasons why that's not the case. So, well, you know, all the clients are blah, 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 or the blah, 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 or the economy is blah, blah, blah. And and then when we're not being compassionate in our relationships, oh, well, yeah, but they said something that was really, you know, like we've got plenty of reasons why. So the resilience aspect in leadership is simply saying there are some specific things that we can do to mitigate the barriers. And it's been proven. In, in fact, there's, there was a research piece done actually over a few years actually that identified six specific things that we can be at work on that will help us remove the barriers to actually operating consistent with what we say we want Mm -hmm. and I think that why I'm so passionate about this piece on resilience is because all of a sudden it gives absolute clarity over what someone can do in a very simple way because most people just go oh yeah you need to be more resilient I'm like well what is that what, just toughen up? I'm like, no, it's not just about toughening up and getting over yourself. No, it's not about that. Mm. It's interesting, though, because there is so much, again, like leadership, resilience is the, you know, the flavour of the month on LinkedIn. How many people have this title of, you know, resilience coach and leadership coach? I think it was Mark Ritson had a bit of a rant recently on LinkedIn where he said, when you read the stuff that they're putting out there, you'd think that you just need some essential oils and massage and apparently it'll all be, you know, hunky-dory. But he, as he points out, you know, leadership is tough. Yeah. You know, running a business, leading a group of people is a tough gig mm. and that no amount of holistic healing mm. is necessarily going to make that any easier. So your point about practical steps that people can take mm. must is, must be essential. Oh look, Darren, you know me. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always been a little bit sensitive about even going out on social media about things. I mean, it was the same thing when I started Team Women Australia. When I started that, I, 
it really was an organic thing that came from mentoring other women and really wanting to deal with, again, the same kind of thing. What are the barriers that are in the way for them to advance? You know, it was just a very straight conversation. And then after a couple of years, you know, with some really great events, and then I got really nervous about marketing again you know, and talking about the whole women thing. I was like, I just didn't want to get pigeonholed in a, this is just about women getting together in an event and having a great time, you know, um, or I don't want to be just about women because that wasn't also the point. It's the same thing with resilience. I'm like, oh, God, you know, it's not just about going out and having a retreat and a few massages and, you know, being all positive. I mean, nothing irritates me. I've got to say more than just be happy. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm. I, I have quite the opposite view. In fact, I remember reading this fabulous book and I recommend to everybody, especially during today's times, by a woman called Pima Chodron. Um, globally, she's recognised as one of the leading experts on compassion. And she's written a book called um, something about tough times, uh, when things fall apart, it's called. Right. And I was going through a really difficult patch myself a couple of years ago and I, w- I went away for two weeks just to get myself away from you know, the home environment where, you know, I've got three kids and, you know, to really feel like you've got the space to go through some stuff. Sometimes you've got to remove yourself from the current environment to get some clarity. And so I did that. And that was the one book I, a dear friend of mine who's been ironically in the area of neuroscience for, for a long time and leadership. And uh, he recommended it to me. And the thing that really struck a chord with me was the very first part of the book talked about not trying to run away from how we feel and what things really are like um, and rather breathe into difficulty and just stay present to being okay with the difficulty rather than think you've got to make things rosy and things happy. And I was like, oh, my God, that's really great. So it's actually okay that I feel like a piece of shit right now. Well, acknowledging your emotions, understanding that they're not necessarily true in quotes but at least acknowledging the validity of them and then being able to step back from those and see them for what they are. Well, it it is all of that. It's actually, they are valid. They are real. And in fact, the reason they're real is because they're trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing that I noticed for myself. I was like, okay, so you're feeling angry, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling betrayed, you feel upset for a reason. So if you, do, if you suppress that or try and run away from that or don't want to feel that, how are you actually ever going to deal with what's actually really there to be dealt with? So it's a hard one to deal with. But also as a leader, it's really hard if you react on your emotions. Often you'll overreact. That's exactly right. right? So you've got to so be able you, to do it without you've got to actually be able doing to acknowledge it. it, put it there and then step back That's and right. see it for what it is. So that you can then work out the appropriate response. And look, I've been I've been guilty of that so many times of actually responding too quickly before I've actually been able to acknowledge what it is that's actually causing that. Well, and there's two things I'd say about that. Firstly, absolutely, you have to in an environment, especially now today when the times are very difficult, is how to know to pause, to pause and stop and think prior to reacting. Mm-hmm. But it's not always easy to do that. And the reason it's not easy to do that is because we're not making time for ourselves to do that in the space of our own life. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure we're making room in our life outside of when we go to work to be able to do that because we have a lot going on. I mean, things are moving quicker than they've ever been ever before. Now, I just want to pick up on that because mm. a lot of people mm. are working from home. And one of the issues here is isolation. 
The first is because you know, the social get-togethers of coming to an office and interacting with people, you know, I'm hearing from people just feel, they feel isolated in their own homes. Yeah, well, then that, that would be a perfect example when I was saying about identifying the emotion or the experience that's there. Okay, great. So once you've identified the emotion or the experience, if you have the experience of being isolated and alone, okay, great. Well, what are some of the solutions? Well, and what, are, the, what are some yeah. of the practical things you could do? See, mostly people just get stuck there, Darren. Most of the people, it's the same as leaders when they feel alone. They go, I just feel alone. I go, okay, I got that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so acknowledge. So at step number one, I, pl- I like to call it the A game. I have three mm-hmm. A's. The first one's acknowledgement. Acknowledge how you feel and what's present. Accountability is the next one. We can't necessarily change what's going around us, but we do have a say about what we do next. So that's the next step is, given that I know I feel isolated, what is the one thing I could do that would have me not have the experience of isolated? That's going to work for me. Now, we can't say it's it's the same for everybody because I'll tell you now, I'm an, ex, I'm an introvert. So I don't want to get on group workshops online. I, I don't want to go to the pub. I don't want, I do not want to do that. So I look from my perspective, what is the one thing I know that I could do to not have the experience of doing that? Now, I have about three people in my immediate community as a leader that I will go to. I'll pick up the phone, I'll get on a Zoom chat, I'll get on a Google Meets, and I will get in and just have a chat about... Now, in fact, I do it every day now. I do daily stand-ups with one of my business partners. 10 o'clock every morning, we get on the phone, 15 minutes, we debrief about what's the one thing we want to accomplish today, what's the one thing we think is going to get in the way, and what is our commitment in terms of our value. So is that the third A? No, so the third A... Yeah, the third A is action. Yeah. So the third A is... So the second one's about identifying what works for you in the face of what's going on, and the final one is take the action. It's not identify it, it's take the action despite what you think, despite how you feel, or despite what you believe. See, mostly we don't take action because we think of something's going to happen. Oh, if I do this, then this will happen. Or if I do this, this will not happen. Oh, but I feel too nervous. I got that. I, I understand. But take the action anyway. Because what happens when we take the action is we do realize we're much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. Okay. The other thing that I'm getting feedback from people in the working from home and this is people working for big organisations especially, is loss of control. And it occurs in two ways. The first way is where someone's a manager and they feel they've lost control of their people because they no longer have that physical proximity. And also the individuals are feeling a loss of control because they're no longer in their work environment where they feel there's a structure. They're now at home where there could be children, partners, you know, neighbours, friends that are all interrupting. There's all these distractions. What is it about people and control? Okay. So there's two things that you've just pointed out to that I want to separate. The first one is, you know, the, the experience of losing control because of people not being in the workplace, right? Firstly, it's an illusion. The fact that you think you had control in the organisation just because they happened to be there is actually not true. So, in fact, there's actually something else underlying that you're not acknowledging in that environment itself that gives you control, whether it's credibility, whether it's trust uh, and belief in people. Those things are in existence. It is an illusion that you think that's creating control. That's the first thing. Um, The second part is... I mean, let me go back to that illusion thing. It's the same with certainty. Control and certainty are both illusions. We can't predict anything. 
we can't even predict sometimes what's coming out of our own mouth next, let alone what we think somebody else is going to do. Well, so if you think you're going to get control just because somebody's sitting in front of you, you're absolutely kidding because you have no reality to what they're doing in the background at all. So I would, firstly, in that scenario, if that's the case, I think what we have to create, so I'm always one for replacing what you feel is there with something else. Every time I've seen that thing about control is a direct correlation to a lack of trust. So I would create that if you're in the experience of having no control is look at what you could create in the area of trust, trusting yourself, number one, and trusting others. So that's the first part. The second part is about at home. We're feeling like we don't have control because oh, oh, I, I get it. I mean, I've got three kids and even this morning as I'm trying to do work, they're you know in the background wanting to play this computer and do this. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so I've got to set some rules. Now, but for you and I, you know, because I've I've had this option of working from home for twenty years. Mm. In fact, I've encouraged it in the business. And you've been managing and running your own businesses largely from home for many years. But can you imagine for people that have gone from a very corporate structure, going to work every day, turning up, spending time in the office, going to lunch, suddenly being thrown back into the home environment? Oh, honestly, now, I think it's not you easy. and I, you and I, are coping with you know everyday life with an extra layer of anxiety around mm. the unknown. Mm. But I can imagine for people that are you know especially say large marketing departments large agencies, big companies, mm. these must be you know, unusual times and, and quite scary times for people. Very scary, very uncertain and unprecedented. I mean, I've heard it a lot, the word unprecedented. It is unprecedented. Um, and I do. it's times like this that, oh, look, I, I think the number one thing is compassion. I can't can't iterate that enough. It's just be kinder to yourself and reduce the expectations that you're going to put on yourself and everybody else because it is not easy. And like you said, you know, I have been doing this now, working from home and uh, for you know quite a number of years. And it, it at that stage it was a lot harder to, to how do I deal with this and then having the kids on top of it. And so, without even worrying firstly about what are some of the simple things you can do, the first thing I would absolutely say is just give yourself a goddamn break. You know, I was, I was noticing this morning on the TV, there was a comment about, you know, look, if you really need to just step back for a moment and just relax, just do that within the, in the knowledge that just allowing yourself the space to do that. Eventually what happens is if when we give ourselves a break, I don't know if you've experienced this, Darren, but I, even for myself, when I give myself 10 minutes in the morning to meditate, and I say meditate, I just mean deep breathing, like actually actively not thinking by counting because that's often the only way that I can meditate. But all of a sudden, the moment after doing that, I have my level of self-motivation returns and clarity about what I need to do and how to do that comes back. So I'd, I'd recommend that for sure. But then you do have to sit down and if you've got a, I mean, everyone's, again, everyone's situation is different, but then to sit down and actually look at what do I think is going to work best for me and everybody else in the house? Because it's not just us as individuals that we need to contend with. Everybody in the house, and I've got, say, five of us in our house, I've got to take into account what also supports them. I mean, it's no good for me to just put in a rule and say, I'm sorry, nine to five, don't talk to me, despite the fact that that's what would work for me. But I need to look at, well, I've got a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, 11-year-old, and I have a husband, and how, how does that work for them? So it's a it's twofold. It's what can I do I need as an individual, and then what can we do to sit down as a team and look at how can we all support each other here to have it all work for all of us. Because so, I actually think the whole idea of control 
is another illusion that people have. There are certain things you have control over. You certainly have control over your, you know, yourself as far as the things that you do. You can plan those out. But I think it's expectation, either your own expectations or the expectations of others that cause the conflict for people. And I'll give you a great example. There is uh, one of the uh, people that does our marketing I will often wake up in the morning and they've sent me emails saying they've finished the work and it could be two or three in the morning because they're night people, <laughs> right? That During the day, she spends time with her children and then does her work at night when her husband is at home, you know, there, help, you know, looking after the children. Like she sits down to do her work. Mm. Now, to me, that's brilliant. Mm. I've now adjusted my expectation that if I ask for something during the day, I'll know it will happen overnight. Okay, so it's interesting how expectation seems to be the source of so much pain well, in, you know, in life, but particularly in business and particularly during these times. Yep. Well, it, it even it expands in these times because our expectations increase on ourselves. And I think that's where we do not go looking. We have a default to think that it's about our expectations that we put on others. But the reason we put high expectations on others in the first place is because we're already putting high expectations on ourselves. So if you want to, uh, if we need to impact the expectation out here with others, the very first place to start is where are you putting real, unrealistic expectations on yourself? And start making changes there. Because I can guarantee you, I've seen it time and time again, when we deal with that at the level of self, our com- level of compassion and the expectations we put on others eases. So um, do you think that this is part of, you talk about compassion, mm. is this part of having more compassion for ourselves and others? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We are really... Uh, if, you know, we do talk about compassion, oh, I'm very compassionate towards other people, but then they, that's a public conversation. But then in the background, they're really annoyed and frustrated. I'm like, well, that's not really compassion because that's not really connecting with what's going on for other people. So compassion like charity starts at home? Yes, 100%. I mean, come on. What's the point in being all friendly and nice with people and pleasant if you, you walk home and then you're being really nasty to your partner or to your kids or to yourself even that? Look, um, yeah, and, and I love this because it's quite practical. You know, you, what was it? Your three, three A's, A's yeah. the first part. Yeah. Uh, look at expectations. Yeah. And then look at what works for you. That's right. And make that work. Yeah. So they're the sort of key cornerstones of what you're doing here. Mm. But this is work that you've been doing for individuals. This is work that you do for teams. This is work you do for corporations, isn't mm. it? That's right. So the I've been doing it, you know, one-on-one I do individuals, a lot of work, um, and then team-wise, so, you know, facilitation of, you know, groups upward of 60-odd. 60, 60 um, and then at organisations actually working at the moment with actually look at – I've worked with a tool that allows for group dashboards and things like that. So as a leader, for example, you can have an entire team do these individual reports and assessments to give their ratings – but because it's a virtual model, they actually can work as individuals, but at the same time, leaders can get a dashboard that gives them an overall score and rating on how the whole team's going. So, And then, of course, as a team environment, you can get in and you can do workshops and things like that. But the great thing is you can do you can equally do them online, which I think is really valuable. So this is the work you do through the performance code. That's right. Whereas Team Women Australia is more about creating a collective a community of of support 
is it? It's twofold. It's mentoring. So firstly, in the background, it's mentoring. Um, it's about diversity and community. One of the things that I noticed, especially for women, is when you have a diverse mix of women from different areas, backgrounds, experiences, sharing their experiences uh, in terms of what they've done, how they've mitigated, what they're dealing with, and being truthful about some of the obstacles, it elevates everyone. Everyone finds some value in what they've shared. And then as a result of doing that, they find they take action. So it's the same application of the three A's in some sense, having them take the action. Um, But the sharing of diverse stories is one thing that helps women. And the second part is we're actually just in in the process of Um, launching our online mentoring platform. So we've been running mentoring programs, but finding that obviously the face-to-face thing is incredibly challenging and you don't get as much diversity. So what we're doing is actually using it as an online build so that they still get the same value of the diversity. They can still share stories, but it does an algorithm where it matches people on their talent, strengths, values, and then they can connect with a mentor should they choose to want to do that. So that's specifically on the women's side. But the performance code is my core business. So that's where I work specifically on applying what I've done there with women, but either in coaching, in workshops, in online tools. And um, this is on a corporate basis, but specifically there's great opportunities for marketing, isn't there? Because marketing is in the last few years has undergone such huge transformation and disruption. I'm very passionate. I mean, as you know, I'm very passionate about marketing, having been a marketer myself, you know, and still am a marketer myself. But, um, you know, I I worked up the ranks in marketing for a very long time and, you know, worked on a lot of restructures in the marketing operations and transformation. And I was there right at the time of digital disruption. In fact, all the way through my career, we were massive growth in innovation. You know, we went from black and white print to colour print. We went from, you know, on set to, you know, digital. And so it was rapid changes all the way through through my career until the point of disruption. So then I was in that period where I had staff losing their jobs. You know, we got all wiped out as a middle layer of management. The thing that I feel really passionate about is the fact that we have all this incredible talent in marketing coming up, innovative and digital. And I mean, I'm like mind blown by their talent. The thing that I worry about is because we've lost that entire middle layer, we no longer have these really great senior mature marketers who have been through some challenges and can work with these people to to kind of lead and mentor them through some of the more difficult complexities of how to how to get traction on their ideas in the face of the complexities of the environment of the structures that they work in. Mm-hmm. So this is why I'm, you know, specifically working with you you in particular as Trinity because we have a wealth of talent that we can bring in and mentor these people to have them optimise their skill set and their creativity and their innovation to get traction on those things. Mm. And this can all be done remotely without uh, hands-free, you could say. Yeah, that's right, (laughs) which is what they want anyway, right? Most of them would prefer to work remote and have the flexibility and be a more agile. How do we tap into that agile, flexible way of approaching and tap into their incredible talent in a way that doesn't have to work in the way that the old model that we work in called be in the office and have that happen and, you know, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Kylie Stone, thank you very much for making time to sit down and have a chat. Thank you. And uh, before you go, just one last question. And that is, you know, of all of the leaders that you've worked with, who is the most inspirational for you? Mm-hmm.